Our text today is, uh, follows in the same context as we did last week, and that is of the model prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer. And as I told you, uh, as Jesus has told us, and forget what I tell you, but as Jesus told us, this is not a prayer in and of itself, although it is recited in many churches as, a, as part of the liturgy, uh, whereby you say the Lord's Prayer. Someone told me that a local Christian radio station every day at noon recites the Lord's Prayer. That is not the reason it was written. It is not a prayer. It's a model for prayer. And we see that, at least one of the things we notice, is that Matthew's version is different than Luke's version. So it's, it's not a prayer to pray. Don't just say, I don't know what else to pray. I'm just going to recite the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's a model for prayer. I mean, here's the model. We're Luke chapter 11. The disciples noticed Jesus on one of his many occasions praying, and they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. And he said that when you pray, which is to say always, there at the end of verse 1, it's address when you pray, say, Father, we address the Father, hallowed be your name. That is, you are holy, God. You begin with this honoring of God. How often do we jump into our prayer? Lord, I got something to say. I got a whole bullet-pointed list of things to say. This is like God saying, how about a good morning first? Let's recognize who God is, whom you're talking to. Address God the Father. Our triune God, we, we pray to God the Father, not to Jesus the Son, not to God the Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of the Son of God, but we address the Father. At least that's how Jesus taught us to do it in the model prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy and great. Your kingdom come. So that means not our kingdom, but your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Send your kingdom. That's what we want. That's what we desire. Or is it? Most of us, when we pray, we're praying for our kingdom. Lord, here's what I need. I need this little arrangement of things. My kingdom. Give it to me. And some have the, the gall to, to shake their fist at God when they don't get that. Your will be done. Matthew adds, give us each day our daily bread. I can't tell you how much that one has convicted me over the last couple of weeks. Um, I mean, I, I made the joke last week of the only time I remember doing that was praying when I was a college student because I didn't have enough money for anything. just wanted to be able to eat. But even that was, I mean, I had plenty to eat. Give us each day our daily bread. I haven't had to pray that in ever. You? Daily bread? I guess it should be for Lance. Lance, here's your prayer. Thank God that he's given you six months' worth of food in your pantry and refrigerator. You get a house, and you have to have a, you gotta have a, what? You got a refrigerator, but what do you need later on? You got to have a, a freezer, too, to put out. Go open that freezer and look at all the food that's in there. Daily bread? Come on. God has blessed us so much. We don't ever pray for daily bread. Don't need to. God, thank you. For just this abundance that he gives us. Yet in the model prayer, it's, Lord, take care of our daily needs. No more, no less. And forgive us of our sins. Of course, as I taught you last week, as Jesus teaches us, forgiving of our sins is, is a bold thing to ask God for if you've not forgiven those who owe you a debt. Matthew says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, uh, who sinned against us. A debt is something owed. As if to say, Lord... I know you've forgiven me because I have forgiven all those who have offended me. Don't even dare expect to have a relationship with God, at least a good one, unless you have forgiven as you have been forgiven. Forgive us of our sins as we ourselves have forgiven anyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not to temptation. Of course, God doesn't lead anyone into temptation. 
But we lead ourselves into temptation, and the fear here is, Lord, don't let me lead myself into temptation and fall. Don't let it happen. That's the fear there in this prayer, this model prayer, praising God and demanding not just the praise of God, but demanding that He keep His name hallowed or holy. It starts with us. Lord, let Your name be holy in my life and in the lives of all. Of course, we live in a day where God's name is a punchline. Peppered with a bunch of curse words. Let it begin with your name, Lord. It's holy, it's hallowed. Let it begin in my life and in the lives of others. Send your kingdom. And so Jesus continues in verse 5, and he tells a parable in verses 5 to 8. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. Now, let's just imagine this. You've got a friend, you go to bed. I think probably maybe the people that go to bed the latest, you're still in bed by midnight mostly. You're in bed, you start sawing logs, uh, it's 1.30. Let's assume it's 1.30 in the a.m. That's, that's the groove for me. I'm not usually awake at 1.30. Uh, 1.45, I have awakened myself by snoring, almost always. But at 1.30, I think it's really good. And I'm sawing logs. Let's just assume that my buddy Renee, who is my next-door neighbor, knocks on my door. What, what's that? What's the first thing you think is the door is knocking? Honey, somebody's at the door. They'll go away. I'm not getting up at 1.30. That, that is nothing but trouble. What are you going to do? Walk to the door. Hello. What are you going to do? That's trouble. Let them keep knocking. Go away. Of course, now you got your, your, your camera going straight to it. What do you want? Yeah, we're assuming that doesn't exist. So he keeps knocking. He just keeps on knocking. Lance, would you please go get the door of the person? All right. Let me get my guns. Let me get my body armor on, because that I'm not going there without I'm not being without being locked and loaded, right? Open the door, it's Renee. What? And I love Renee. I do. I, I'd do anything for Renee. But at 1:30, I really want the tone of my voice to come across as this is a terrible inconvenience. What are you doing here? Okay. What's Renee's problem? Lance, I had a buddy come in late. Uh, we have no nachos, we have no chips, we've got no drinks, and we are obligated to feed this guy. Look, I just don't have anything. What, what's, what's your response? Seriously? Is this a joke? Is there a candid camera around the corner? What? But he's going to stay there. He's going to keep knocking. Renee, go to bed. I close the door. He's going to keep on knocking. Is it because I want to help him that I give him my fresh bag of rounds for him to have nachos and a can of beans and some cheese and my precious jalapenos? No, I'm just going to do it because he won't go away. Here, take it. Go. Anyone else in the same boat? Am I acting somehow different than you might? That's the picture Jesus is painting. Not a one of you are going, oh, yeah, sure, come on in. I, I was hoping you'd come over this late. I was hoping I could give you this in the middle of the night uh, where I'd go back to bed and not fall asleep again for the next three hours. This is the, what Jesus says. Suppose one of you has a friend. You're, you're that person, and you've got a friend, and you goes to him at midnight, and you say to him, friend, let me have three loaves. 
For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, the man answers, Don't bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So here are the people. You've got one man. We're going to name him Hospitable. That's the guy who gets out and goes knocking on the the door. The next guy is a friend that comes and knocks on his door. We're going to call him Needy. Hospitable and Needy. And the neighbor next door who's already in bed, we're going to call him Miserly. Mr. Miser. So Hospitable goes over and he's knocking on Miser's door. Miser, I've got a friend, Needy, who needs some food. Come over and help me out or just open up and help me out. I know you got bread. I smelled your wife cooking bread earlier today. I know you got it in the house. Go away. My kids are in bed. I'm in bed. All right, fine. So miserly gets up, opens the door, hands over the bread to hospitable. Hospitable goes back to his house and feeds needy. Are you with me? You got to give these people names. I want you to know that miserly here, stay with me when I tell you this, is representative of God, at least in the minds of our our depraved minds. This is the representation of God. We have this view of God that we're bothering God, that he just gives out what he wants when he's in a good mood. That's why some religions have other saints that, that can go to God. You pray to the saint and he'll go to God or she'll go to God and ask God for what you need. They're waiting for him to be in a good mood in the cosmic atmosphere. This is the typical view that, that man today and of yesteryear has of God. He's miserly. Don't bother him. He's asleep. Folks, let me say before I finish this, bother God with everything you have as often as you can. If eight and a half billion people that live on this planet were constantly bothering God, it's still no big deal for the Almighty. Amen. It's nothing. How many times have you asked, Lord, just, just give me this? I keep wanting to knock, you know, because I enjoy doing that. That's the point of it. God, I know you have other people, and I know I'm bothering you. If you'll just give me this one, I won't bother you for a week as if God's going, are you going to stick to it? Because I'm really tired of hearing you in prayer. No. God is not miserly. That's their view of him sometimes, but it's not him. So Jesus tells this parable. And he says in verse 8, I tell you, even though he, that's miserly, will not get up. Earlier he said, I can't get up. Jesus says, no, it's not that he can't, it's that he won't. You ever told that lie before? I I can't come. No, really, you just won't come. I can't come to the party. I Really, I just won't. Jesus exposes him here. Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word persistence there in the Greek text is only used one time here in the entire New Testament Greek. But outside of the Bible, it means to be audacious or shameless. Isn't that interesting? So let's put that word into her. Yet because of his audacity... Because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. The parable here is pointing towards being shameless in prayer. Oh, Lord, maybe you didn't hear me. I need to ask this again and again and again. I want you to note that that hospitable here is not asking for a new motorcycle. He's not asking for a raise at work. 
He is honoring the time-honored practice of hospitality. Someone was in need. They knocked on his door. In the Near East, you always helped even a stranger, but certainly a friend in need. He had nothing to give him for whatever reason. So he's knocking on the door, not for his own benefit. Hey, look, I need $20. Give me $20. I need $20. The guy could have easily said, just, you can knock all night. I don't have $20 to give you. What he's doing is he's, he's going to his neighbor. He's going to miserly for something that someone else needs, a selfless need. And Jesus is telling him, even though he won't get up because he's his friend, the guy doesn't lay in bed and say, well, he's my friend, I need to get up. He gets up because the guy won't go away. And this is the picture of prayer. We've got the model prayer. And in the request of the model prayer come down to um, your kingdom come, send your kingdom, give us our daily needs, Lord, forgive us as we have forgiven others, and lead us not to temptation. Don't allow our own temptation to overtake us. Keep knocking. Because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Shamelessness. You ever, been, you ever felt shameless in prayer? You see, prayer is that, that practice we do when we're at the end of our rope, and we know we can't do anything. And we have to admit, I can't do this. I'm unable to do it. That's why some people are too proud to pray. Um, C.S. Lewis, one of C.S. Lewis's uh, quotes that he says is, before I was a believer, he said, back when I was an agnostic, he said, I saw people praying for this, praying for that. He said, one thing I would never stoop to do is pray. He was cocky, arrogant. I don't need help from some deity in the sky, was Lewis's thought. I'll do it myself. So prayer is that place where we come to where we can't do it. I can't do this either for myself or someone else. And so we humble ourselves and ask God. We go to God. And what Jesus is telling us is we don't have to tiptoe to the door. Uh, God, can you pretty please perhaps give me maybe, hopefully, knock on the door. God's not looking through a, a, a camera and saying, what do you want? Go away. Some, maybe even some here today, think that that's who God is. It ain't. And that's what Jesus is trying to show us. He wants everyone to know this is what prayer is. So in verse 9, he says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now, in the, the Greek text here, ask is, is a present imperative. It's a command. An imperative is a, is a command. When, it's, when the imperative is mixed with the, the present tense, uh, it is a, an ongoing, continuous asking. Always be asking. Asking, always ask, and it will be given to you. Always be seeking, and you will find. Always be knocking, and it will be open. Now, stay with me. If it would be put in the, what's called the aorist imperative, aorist is spelled A-O-R-I-S-T, it's a tense in the Greek language. If it was in an aorist imperative, then it wouldn't be ongoing. It would be ask once and be done with it. Seek once and be done with it. Knock once and be done with it. It's a, it's a tense of urgency. So I love the fact that it's present imperative because it's continue to ask. Now some of you are here today and you've gone, I have been. 
I have been asking, I have been seeking, I have been knocking, and I'm not getting my motorcycle. I'm not getting the raise at work. I'm not getting what I want. We've all been there. And so this passage is is telling us, does it say, and I say to you, ask, and it might be given to you, seek, and you might find it, knock, and the door might one day perhaps be open to you? No. There's a guarantee. You keep on asking, and it will be given to you. That, That needs some unpacking. For real life. Verse 10 says it again. For everyone who asks, who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. Again, really, Lord, is that possible? Can I get everything I want? Because I'm not. If, let's put it, let's connect it over to what Jesus tells us in the model prayer. Here's what you pray for. Not only do you tell God who He is, hallowed and, and awesome and above all creation, and command Him to stop allowing His name to be abused, tell God to send His kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Matthew adds. Same thing. It's just poetic in a sense. To ask God for His kingdom to come, to ask God for His will to be done are the same things. So let's plug that in. Continually ask, always ask, that God send His kingdom. Lord, send your kingdom. Lord, send your kingdom. We might go to the Scriptures and begin searching what the Scriptures say about the kingdom of God. Seeking the kingdom. What does the Bible say about the kingdom of God? Well, as I said last week, the kingdom of God was prophesied in the Old Testament as something that would be. When Jesus of Nazareth came on the scene, he told his disciples, go out and tell everyone the kingdom has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then we learn in John's, uh, not John's gospel, in the revelation of, of John, same writer, that the kingdom of God will come when Jesus returns to earth. That second time. The kingdom will come in all its fullness. Are you looking forward to that day? Really? Just Vince? You haven't prayed that? Lord, come on. Now, what comes before the kingdom is the rapture of the church. The kingdom will come seven years after the rapture of the church, following the tribulation time period. So we might pray for the rapture, because it's coming first. The rapture, that time where all believers in Christ, dating back to Acts chapter 2, meet Jesus in the clouds in the blink of an eye. Send it, Lord. We'll just put it all together. Send your kingdom and keep knocking on the door. Let's say you go out and you say, hey, will you tell me where directions are to this house? I'm asking you for directions to this person's house. You ask. They tell you. You seek. And once you find, you knock on the door. See, it takes action. There's some action involved here. Not just asking, but seeking. Okay, Lord, let me figure out why I'm not getting my motorcycle. I've been asking for the motorcycle, and I'm searching the Scriptures, and I don't see anywhere in the Scripture when I'm seeking that you've guaranteed a motorcycle for me. Huh. Maybe I ought to nix that prayer request. Or just leave it in the back of my mind. Lord, you really know I'd like a motorcycle. Let's put that back there, and if you ever decide to give it to me, I'll give you all glory. Maybe you will. I don't know why I came up with a motorcycle. It just came to me this morning. Weird how some things come to you. But I do not want a motorcycle, so uh, that's why it's weird that it came to me. I prayed for that once, I got it, and then sold it two years later. 
So when we're asking for the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of God going to come? Is the kingdom of God going to come? So when God tells us to pray, thy kingdom come, he's telling us to pray for that which he has already decreed to happen. And when we pray for what God has said will happen, we are thinking God's thoughts after him. We're right there on the level of God. Here's what God says I'm going to do. And then you're praying that he do it. There's a movie. I will not tell you the name of it because if you go watch it, I'm going to get in trouble. But there's a, it's a movie where there's an, inter, an exchange between a, a woman and a man. She, she makes a quote. She quotes this quote. And the guy says, I can't believe that. I wrote that. I wrote that. So when she said it, he didn't go, yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so flattered that she quoted something that he wrote and made it to a magazine. I'm thinking the same thing. When we think God's thoughts, Lord, here's what I want. I don't want to say it's flattering to God, but God loves that. You've asked for something that God has ordained. You want what God has ordained to come to pass. And so you're seeking it and knocking on the door until he gives it. You want to know how to pray? There it is. You want to know how to not pray? Take that bullet-pointed list of all your selfish things that you demand of God and plug that in and see what you learn about God. Because he's going to answer them. Probably with a no. Because no, a no is an answer, is it not? No. Of course, he has three answers. We know that. Yes, no, and slow. Yes, no, and slow. Wait. The kingdom of God is one of those wait. It's not about as the charismatic church would tell you, look, you've got to have enough faith. You name it and claim it. Show me that in the Bible. That's a selfish way of looking at life, a selfish way of looking at God, saying, here's what I want, here's what I need. Okay, Lord, it's a new day. We've got a cancer diagnosis in my family. Mom's got cancer. I need you to heal that. Motorcycle request, still unfulfilled, still want that. Work, I got to pay for my mom now. I need some more money. I need that. You line up all these requests, and what are you thinking about all day long, all week long, and for whatever time your mom is sick with cancer? Your requests, what you want, what you need, what you think God should be doing. Whereas when we're praying for the kingdom of God, we're thinking God's thoughts. One's a horizontal way of thinking, one's a vertical way. Did you need me to illustrate that? Because you, know you didn't know what horizontal meant or vertical. See, I just like to get a little animated from time to time. Prayer requests are so self-centered. And God certainly could answer every one of them, at least in the affirmative. But folks, we all know, as callous as it might sound, everyone dies. If we could pray every cancer patient back to health, no one would ever die. We are going to die. When one person that we know is, in, is, in, uh, is sick and they're in Christ, what are we worried about? They're going to die anyway. If they're released from this body of death and they get to go be with Jesus, well, we're going to suffer, no doubt. We're going to miss our friends, our loved ones. That's inevitable. 
but them. They. That's why doing, doing funerals from this pulpit or another pulpit is just so bittersweet. It's bittersweet. You know the person is with Jesus, and, and you love that. But the better part is I'll never see them again. I walk around this church, and there are just hauntings out in the hallways. That's the, that's a, the terrible part about being a pastor, is you know so many people, and you do so many funerals. So many people that I love have, have died. And, and I mourned with others who, who, who are mourning those, those deaths. And I see them and sitting, I don't really see them. I mean, sitting in the chairs and talking and, and uh, you know, you listen to some folks will listen to some of the old sermons I do, uh, usually on a Wednesday night where, where people interact with me and they can hear those people on the tape. Uh, oh, that was Bill. That was Ed. That was Phyllis. I remember those days. I miss them. I do too. Just talking to Charlotte this morning about the passing of Ken a couple of years back. Has it been two years? Uh, you still miss? We still miss. I know exactly where Ken is. He's up there. He's having God proofread one of his copy-dense Bible studies. God, what do you think of this? As he used to give to me with that great attitude. What a, what a guy. We miss him. But everyone we pray for to come back to life, in fact, very few are going to. I say come back to life, come back to health. None of them are coming back to life. It's possible, but it's not happening. Keep on asking. And then Jesus says, look, verse 11, now suppose one of you fathers, he's talking to us as human fathers, one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. The little junior comes up, dad can I have some fish. Let's call it a pizza. Dad can I have a pizza. He won't give him a snake instead. Sure, here's a pizza, son. Here's a, here's a snake I have in my pocket. No father would do that. None. Well, maybe Ted Bundy or something, but no father does that. No father would give his son who asks for a pizza or a fish here a snake instead of a fish, or if he's asked for an egg. Dad can have money to take my, my date out tonight. He's not going to give him a scorpion. Sure, son, here's a, here's a flesh-eating parasite. Take that. And just laughs. No father does that. This is what we call an a fortiori argument, lesser to the greater. If a father here, the less, the father here, would do such a thing, would not God the Father do all the more, the greater argument? But know what he says in verse 13. If you then, being evil, whoop, back up. Shouldn't we expect this? If you then, being good people, don't miss that. Because I say it all the time. Randy Black asked in his Sunday school class today, he said, what does Lance always tell us? Of course, Randy's waiting for the answer that I call you all a bunch of wretched sinners. Some smart aleck, I mean, no names, Giles Britton, pops up with, you're all such good and fine people. <laughs> hey, you are on a human level. You're good and fine people. I love you. I think the world, people say, what's so great about Harvest Bible Church? It's the people. It's the people because they're the redeemed of Christ. It's just wonderful story after story. So I love you, and you're good people. But you're a bunch of wretched, evil, wicked sinners at heart. You know that, don't you? That's not an insult to you. Let's see how many people get up and leave. Jesus says it. If you then, being evil, you fathers who would never give something horrible to your son or daughter if they asked... If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
And we do. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? Uh, Matthew's gospel doesn't say give the Holy Spirit. He says give that which is good. How much more will your heavenly Father give that which is good to those who ask? Well, what's the, the best of the good? The Holy Spirit. So is the, the application that we go away here today asking for the Spirit? All you would go away and pray for the Holy Spirit? No. Let me tell you what he's saying here. If you would, hold your place there. And I want you to go over to the left to the prophet Ezekiel. Now, if you don't know where Ezekiel is, just always start in your Bible. Go to the middle. Open it up to the middle. You'll probably crack it anywhere from Psalms to Isaiah. Middle of your Bible. Even if you're in Psalms or Isaiah, you're going to move to the right. Psalms goes to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. So let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. If you're in Daniel, you've gone too far. Move back to the left. Ezekiel 36. You might say, wow, this is tucked away in the Bible. I've never touched this. Those pages in your Bible might be sticking together. This is a pivotal prophecy as it relates to the New Testament. In fact, Jesus rebukes Nicodemus in John chapter 3 for not knowing this passage. When Jesus says, you must be born again, and Nicodemus scratches his head, what do you mean born again? Jesus said, you're the teacher in Israel and you don't get this? This is straight from the prophets. So Ezekiel chapter 36, 550 B.C.-ish. Here's what the promise that God gives is. Ezekiel 36, 26. It's in the middle of a context, but trust me, I'm not taking it out of context. Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, God says, God speaking through the prophet, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. That is your rebellious heart. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit. That's the capital S. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Note the word cause. God's saying, I will do this. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So 550 B.C.-ish. This is the promise of God. Jesus, in the model prayer of Luke 11, before the Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, is saying, pray for what God promised He would do. Give the Spirit. Where He would give you the Spirit and take that heart. Now, we think of our heart as, as, you know, this one with valves and, and blood flowing through it. Really, the heart is the heart of man. It's really our minds. It's who we are. It's not the, the bodily organ It's who we are, and who we are is selfish, sinful, full of idols. That's what we want. We want our way. We want our kingdom, not God's kingdom. God is saying, there's going to come a day where I'm going to take that heart of stone out of you, and I'm going to put a heart of flesh in you, a heart that's submissive to my will. I'm going to put my spirit in there, the Holy Spirit in you, and I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and in my law. If that's what God said He was going to do, then Jesus is saying, pray that he will. And again, let's look at it. You then being evil, you know how to give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, give himself to those who ask him? If God has promised it, pray for it. 
and He has promised it. Now, we'll take Ezekiel. That's when it was prophesied. Jesus, right on the cusp of it being fulfilled, is saying, pray that it will happen. Forty days, fifty days after Jesus leaves the earth, after His resurrection, the Spirit of God is given. The Spirit of God transforms everyone. In fact, go back to there. Uh, Joel chapter 2 says it. Amos, Obadiah, Joel, Hosea, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Here we go, Joel chapter 2. Don't get there. It's only two pages short. You won't find it in time. Here's the prophecy. Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2. Again, prior to it coming, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all of mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Even on the male and the female servants, I will pour out my spirit. God says He would. In Acts chapter 2, He did. So what do we pray for? If we're praying at all, we have the Holy Spirit. When we are praying according to the Holy Spirit, we are praying according to the will of God. So we pray, stay with me, to the Father, in the name of Jesus the Son, according to the Spirit of God. If He's given us a heart of flesh and removed our heart of stone and causes us to walk according to His statutes, then we are praying that God would continue to fill us with His Word. With His Word. That way, if we're, if we're living according to His Word, we're praying according to His will. And we weed out all the junk. It's a lot of junk in prayer. I mean, I'll be a moment of total frankness and honesty. I loathe prayer meetings. I hate them. I hate to hear the requests. They are so pathetic and miserable. And before long, they devolve into praying for dogs and horses, which are fine. If you love your dog or your horse, that's a prayer closet concern, not to be given to the world. Praying for Aunt Bethel, who lives in Nova Scotia, Hey, she means something to you. That's a prayer closet concern. The prayer of a righteous man is a powerful thing. There's things to pray for in private and things to pray for together. You get in a prayer group today and everyone starts throwing around how sick they are. Well, I got the flu. Well, I got this. Well, I got to go to the doctor. I got to have this. Gotta... That's for you. Don't bore everyone with that. I'm going to catch some flack for that. I know it. I'm not saying God doesn't care. I'm saying that's why I have always loathed prayer meetings, and no one else does. I'm just saying what you're thinking. I'll catch the flack for it. Thank you, Vincent. I'll catch the flack for it, but that's why they're so, they have no power. Why don't we get together in a prayer meeting and pray that God's name be hallowed? Why don't we get together in a prayer meeting and talk about the glory and the wonders of God? Why don't we get together in a prayer meeting and talk about and pray for the kingdom of God and all of His glory and get the focus off of us on this horizontal level? You want to know why God doesn't work great in your life? Because you pray miserably. Raise the bar. God is telling us, pray according to my will. Turn over, if you would, to John. We're in Luke, so John is just a John chapter 14, verse the next gospel over, 14, verse 13.
get a little more context than that. 14.11. Now let's get a little more than that. We see our, our most famous verse there in chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he goes through and tells him uh, where he's going. He's going to be leaving. He says in verse 11, believe me, Jesus says, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. In other words, we believe that Jesus is the only way. We believe that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. Verse 12, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, imagine that, the works that Jesus does, he will do also. That is those who pray, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There it is again. Well, why are we not getting everything we want? It's that little phrase, in my name, which means according to my will. In my name. That's why we close our prayers in Jesus' name. Because what we're asking for, we believe, is according to the will of God. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, God said no to him on three consecutive occasions? Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said he's got this thorn in the flesh. It's either a metaphoric thing where someone's bothering him, there's a satanic... Uh, um, influence on his life, or maybe he just has a physical ailment. Could be both. But he says, I prayed to the Lord three times that he would remove the thorn in the flesh, and God said, no, no, no. To Paul, really? And Paul was a miracle worker. And then God follows up with, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My power, Paul, is made perfect in your weakness. So it's better that you keep the thorn. Okay, got the answer, didn't he? How about the Lord Jesus Christ on the night before his death, in his humanity, praying, Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. He knows what's coming. He's going to take on the wrath of God for our sins. And in his humanity, he wasn't afraid of crucifixion. He's afraid of the Father's wrath. Lord, if it be possible, this cup, the cup of your wrath, is there another way? Is there a plan B you can go with? So he follows it up with, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he didn't get his will, did he? God the Son. So Jesus is clearly not saying everything you ask for. Tack on that little phrase in Jesus' name, boom, it's yours. You do know this. You've experienced it. You either shake your fist at God or you say, Lord, your will must be higher than mine. Let's stay with John. Flip out of the gospel. Keep going to the right, almost to the end of your Bible, into 1 John, the letter of 1 John. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John. First John chapter 3. Same author as wrote the gospel. Same author as wrote the book of Revelation. Near the end of his life, John writes in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. 
confidence before God. I don't want you to underline that word. Confidence before God means you're going before God with a biblical request of God. It's that going, going back to the parable that Jesus gave in Luke 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 5 to 8. It's about going and knocking continually, knowing that what you need, God can and will provide. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, in other words, if we're not guilty, if we have our sins washed away through faith in Christ, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, what are the commandments, you ask? There they are in verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Two commandments. Love God, love one another. You keeping those commandments? Yeah. On my best day, maybe 50%, Lord. But yeah, I'm doing my best. I'm fighting the battle. Then go before God with confidence. Look at chapter 5. It's just one page over. Chapter 5, beginning, uh, I believe it's 13. 14. Now let's start with 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things, John says, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So who's it written to? Anyone who wants to pray? Christians, those who believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. I, these things I write to you, I've written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, here's one of the caveats of this passage. If you have been raised to think that you cannot be assured of your salvation, you needn't bother praying. If you're not sure that Jesus' work on the cross was complete... And that what he did by believing in him, you have salvation, signed, sealed, and delivered. If you don't believe that, you needn't bother praying. If you're not sure it's real, you know the Catholic Church teaches that anyone who believes their salvation is assured, let them be anathema, damned, cursed. And yet the Bible says we can know and come before God with confidence. If you know it means that you're th saying, God, I know what you did. I believe what you said. I don't think you're a liar. Because if you don't believe that, you do think God is lying. No, John is saying, I've written to these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you will know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have before God, before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears it. He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which have been asked from Him. The will of God, praying the will of God, your kingdom come, your will be done. How are you going to know God's will and what about His kingdom unless you read His Word? How would you dare to enter into heaven if that's where you think you go when you die and say, Lord... I don't really know what your word says. You know, I was always a little too busy to be reading it. I'll repeat to you what I learned as a, as a child, as a teenager from my youth minister. If you are too busy to spend time alone with God, you are busier than he intended for you to be. If you are too busy to spend time alone with God, you are busier than he intended for you to be. When you spend time alone with God, it's reading His Word. That's how we listen to God. 
You want to know what God says? What he's saying? Listen to him. Take it in. Know what he says and what he thinks and pray for it. That's what it means to pray in his name. Now let me just go through a couple of things. Here's why we don't get what we want. Here's what happens to us when we don't pray right. Number one, when we don't pray for God's will. We just want our will. I've, I've made a point of that already. You're getting a no after a no after a no. It could be, sad as it is, that someone you love who has cancer or who's dying, had a terrible accident, and they're holding on, it could be that God is saying it's their time. And no matter how much we pray, no matter how many people we gather around them at the hospital bed, that God is saying, I hear you, but I'm taking them home. It could be that. We're praying, and and it's okay to pray. Lord, we don't want them to go. Please keep them with us. Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours. You must submit to the God of all creation. He knows. And so he might take that person. You can't hold it against him. Number two is habitual sin. Habitual sin. I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 66, verse 18. Psalm 66, 18. The writer says this. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I'm going to read another one. First, chapter, first Peter chapter 3, back to the other end of the Bible. Hebrews, James, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 or chapter 3 verse 7. Men, this is for you. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Ladies, do you want me to read that again? Let me read that again. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. I know it's impossible, but do it anyway. As with someone weaker, not that they're less of a person, physically weaker. You are the man. God made you the head of your household. Since she is a woman, she's weaker. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, not as someone who's beneath you. And if you do it right, or I should say if you do it wrong, your prayers are hindered. Harboring sin in your life, looking at things your eyes ought not see, hanging with people you ought not be with, Filling your mind with filth, harboring it in your heart, and then going to God and having the audacity to pray for something? No. It hinders prayer. You can't just say to the Father and then pray in the name of the Son and say, Lord, this is what your will says. Now I'm going to go off and do my own thing. No. It doesn't work that way. The next one is selfish motives. Well, if you're in Peter, just look over to the right, to the left, I should say, at James. James chapter 4, verse 3. James says it pretty clearly. Straightforward, as the Bible normally does. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you will spend it on your pleasures, i.e. the motorcycle. You ask and do not receive. Now, it's a done, the other thing if you're asking for a motorcycle because you have no mode of transportation. You saw a good deal, and Lord, I really would like that motorcycle. That would really work out well. I could get to work, make the money I need. Would you give me that motorcycle? That's a little different context for praying for a motorcycle, Right? Sure it is. You can say right. Selfish motives. You don't have what you want because you pray with selfish motives. Because you're living in sin. Because you're not praying according to God's will. 
It could just be weak faith. You really, you pray for things and you don't believe that God can do it. Lord, I don't know if you can do this. I mean, I know you created the earth out of nothing, the entire universe, and made everything, things I can't even see, atoms and, and, uh, and big things and small things, but I don't know if you can do this. I had a preacher one time at Cypress Bible Church, something I'll never forget. He said, big requests honor a big God. Big requests honor a big God. Hey, you come to my door and knock on my door. My office is right over there. And you knock on the door. That shows someone in need. You want to talk. You might need something. Hey, Lance, do you have a breath mint? Uh, okay. Here. That, now, that's an easy one, I'll mind you. And sometimes I'm relieved. Whoo! <laughs> but Lance... Can we talk about the Trinity? I don't understand it. That's a big request. I'm honored by that. Big request is something you must think that I can understand the Trinity and you want me to help you with it. Better place to go is in prayer, ask God and read His Word because that's where I'm going to lead you anyway. And another and final one that keeps us from, from getting and attaining what we might want is a lack of perseverance. We're going to read about this persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 when we get there in about three years, but uh, we will get there. A persistent widow. But the widow is being persistent. You want to go ahead and read that. She's being persistent not because she wants a motorcycle. She needs justice. She's a widow and she's being oppressed. And so she keeps going to the judge and the judge says, look, I'm going to give this woman what she wants. Not because I'm a good judge, but because she's wearing me out. In fact, the, the text says, the Greek text uses a word that says, she's going to give me a black eye. How about that? I mean, if you walk around with a black eye and walk around in public, you're essentially saying, someone got the best of me. I got whooped. And this judge is saying, if I don't give her what she wants, people are going to think I can't. So he does. And Jesus says, listen to that unjust judge. Follow the example of the persistent widow. Keep on praying for the kingdom of God. Let me give you another caveat there. Some of you have had this advice from me before. You know someone, let's say you've got someone in your mind that they don't know Jesus. And you want them to know Christ. And every day you are praying that God will save them. Okay. You can keep doing that. But personally, I believe, and I say personally, I believe, that's one of the requests that you don't have to pray for every day. Your constant, consistent praying for someone that doesn't know Jesus to know Jesus is not going to make God save them. You see, God chose before the foundation of the world all who would be saved. Some of you are going, up oh, they're Calvinists. Looks like we need to leave. We're not Calvinists. We believe the Bible. You cannot pray someone into heaven, but God can work through your prayers to bring them to salvation. So pray for them. But there are some things, the more you pray, the more depressed you become. Do you agree with that? You keep your mind on what you want, what you need, when in fact, you can just say, Lord, I know you're the king of the earth, the king of the universe. You heard my prayer. I'm going to move on with my life. There's some freedom in that. Distinguish those things in your life that you are driving yourself crazy with, begging God, pleading with God, when in reality, you know that God heard it. I'll take care of it, Lance. I've got that. Move on. Show faith, Lance, by moving on with your life. I heard you. 
Because a thousand or a million people praying for someone who will never come to know Jesus is not going to make them know Jesus. We can't tell the difference. We don't know who is and who isn't. Others praying for what God has said would happen. Lord, I am in the midst of bitterness, maybe. Someone has done you wrong. And you know that bitterness is tearing your soul up. Lord, you didn't fix this yesterday. Will you fix it today? Will you fill my wretched soul with the joy of knowing Jesus? Because I'm, I'm in a world of hurt here. And bitterness and anger and even hatred. And Lord, I'm not going away until you give me what I need. Keep on knocking. We know bitterness is wrong. A lack of forgiveness is wrong. And in our flesh, we can't do it. I've been there. I cannot do what God has commanded me to do in some things. Some things God has gone too far in my life. I can't do it, God. I can't. But God can through me. And he leaves us in these places like with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Lord, will you please take this thorn away? Nope. Please? Nope. Pretty please? Nope. Your weakness, Paul, is how my power is made great. And by the way, Paul, my grace in your life is sufficient. You got all you need. And so we keep on knocking. Keep on seeking for that which God demands of us. Lord, I can't love my neighbor as myself. Keep on knocking. Help me to love my neighbor as myself. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And what does Jesus say? The door will be opened. You'll find. I guarantee it. Keep on asking. Do you know how to pray better from God's Word than maybe when you didn't know God's Word? Can you wipe out, weed out some of the worthless prayers you've been praying? You remember the old bumper sticker that said, pray for world peace? And then, you, and then the, the pun on it was, pray for world peas, world peas. Well, folks, we're not going to have world peace the way it is now. But world peace is coming, but the coming of our Lord. So pray for world peace. In the right context, for the right reasons, it is coming. Lord, will you, will you give us a better president of the United States? Will you, will you give us a moral man or woman who, who loves this nation and who loves you? He might. I don't think he will. This country has hit the slippery slope. You know why I think that? Because the Bible says it would happen. Before the rapture of the church things get worse. If it's bad now, it's only going to get worse. It must get worse before it gets better. You and I live in a unique time, a time that's comparable to Noah's day. But when the earth was so violent, God wiped it out. He said, I'll never do that again except with fire. Then he tells us how that will transpire in the book of Revelation. We're seeing the events of life. We're seeing, I mean, even blue bloods. I was watching blue bloods this past week. And Blue Bloods is a conservative show, and it has a conservative agenda. But one of the police officers on there was doing, had a, a side gig at night, doing things that she shouldn't be doing, that we would be appalled at as Christians. But because it's the 21st century, Blue Bloods decided to say, it's okay, and make us feel sorry for the poor thing who's having pictures taken of her. 
And I thought, no, wrong is wrong. I don't care what century it is. I don't care if she has a sick mom with second degree, second stage pancreatic cancer and you need money to pay for it. No. Trust in the Lord God Almighty. If your mom needs healing, he will heal her. But don't go sell your body and then put it on a television show and make us feel sorry for you. Pray the will of God. Pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. How do I know God's will? Read his word. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit of God. Let's pray now. Lord, your name is great and is to be hallowed. I pray that it would be. Certainly pray that it would be in my life, in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. That your kingdom, you have promised it. Bring it sooner than later and give us patience in the midst as we wait. Our daily bread, Lord, you've given us such great abundance. May we be ever so thankful. The temptations of life, the forgiveness that we struggle with, by your power, we will overcome. We will forgive. We will overcome temptation. I pray that we would be tenacious, even audacious in our prayer requests with you, bringing before you what you would have us pray for. In the name of Jesus, we would pray it. And for his glory, we would want it. I pray, Lord, that we would never view you as a miser. You're a loving God who wants to give us the best for your glory. So we pray that. May we be strong and courageous in the midst of a perverse generation. May we not be a part of that. May you work through us to cause people to see Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God living within us. May it be manifest in the world in which we live, a dark world where we are given the privilege of shining a bright light. May it shine brightly from us. As we go forth here today, Lord, on Palm Sunday, commemorating the day Jesus our Lord walked into Jerusalem and would die five days later. Give us a a sober thought of what happened so long ago. Bring us back Friday night to commemorate that death, that bittersweet death. And bring us back Sunday morning and some others that have never heard it. And maybe those who have heard it before never responded to worship over the resurrection of our Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you go and may his kingdom come. You've been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Waldy, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas. 